1: Hello and welcome to the Food and Sight podcast where I, Blue Wilson, chartered psychologist and food advocate, take you through all things food and psychology. In this episode, I'm breaking bread with Pixie Turner. Pixie, who goes by the name Plant Based Pixie on social media, is a nutritionist registered with the Association for Nutrition. She can be found across her channels and often on the news debunking nutritional myths and promoting an evidence-based and balanced approach to nutrition. But it hasn't always been like that. For around three years, Pixie was deep into the very side of wellness that she now tries to protect others from. At the same time, she was building a name and a following as a wellness blogger, subscribing to ideas and practices that have no grounding in science, despite her background in biochemistry. So how did she get drawn in? And maybe more importantly, how did she get out? In this conversation, Pixie tells me her story in which she describes, amongst other things, the differences between wellness trends in different parts of the world and explains how compelling it is to receive glowing praise from complete strangers. Her story really illustrates the common theme of restrictive eating behaviours developing as ways of managing periods of transition and anxiety. That said, it's a really fascinating, funny and honest conversation. And as a bonus, I get to use the phrase accidental cheese. (laughs) So listen out for that. Here's my conversation with wellness blogger turned wellness rebel, Pixie Turner. Okay, so I am here in the living room of Pixie Turner, also known as plant-based pixie hello hi thanks for having me that's all right lovely to have you here welcome to the podcast thank you very much these breaking bread episodes always start with really what's a kind of cunning trick of mine which is just to get people to feed me (laughs) (laughs) um and so let's start there so pixie can you tell me what your meaningful food is and what we are sitting down to at the moment I have made an extremely fancy
2: and very classy, very high-end cheese toastie with mature cheddar
1: and basil pesto because I think it adds some extra delicious flavour. Excellent. So whilst I enjoy my generous half with the cheese toastie, thank you so much. Um, most why don't you just let us know <laughs> why this is your meaningful food.
2: So I chose this because... Cheese was really the turning point for me when it came to moving from wellness to rebel. So, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get into it. But I <laughs> cut out a lot of things from my diet unnecessarily, and it was accidentally eating cheese one point that, and feeling like I had to hide it and pretend like I wasn't eat accidentally eating cheese, but secretly absolutely loving it. That made me realise that there is more to life than cutting things out from your diet, and actually maybe. I shouldn't be depriving myself of things that I actually really, really loved. And I am such a cheese lover now. Like, I don't think a day goes by where I don't eat cheese. (laughs) I'm just making up for all that time, all those years I spent not eating it because I was afraid of it. Um, And also bread. Bread was another one of those things that I thought was off limits. gluten God forbid I should eat gluten. I don't have a problem with gluten. I am neither celiac nor in any way sensitive to gluten. I can eat so much of it and will get zero symptoms. But I thought that I needed to cut it out. And so I spent considerable time not eating proper bread. And I love bread. And I equally now eat bread pretty much every day, probably (laughs) as a way to make up for all the bread that I missed out on. I've been on bread making courses. I make my own bread. I am obsessed with bread. And pesto, I think, just kind of makes it all taste even more delicious even more so than just cheese on its own so that's why i've created this this wonderful
1: cheese toasty for you we need to talk about all of this yes (laughs) um so maybe i wonder how far back we should go so maybe we go back to let's say a year before wellness if we call it like yeah cool be W. Yeah. BW. BW. Yeah. <laughs> before wellness. Where were you? How old were you? What was life like? So before
2: wellness, I would have just started university. I It was my first time living away from home, being completely, well, relatively completely independent, having to cook for myself every day, mm-hmm. being in that whole university environment, all the new people. I'm quite an introvert, so I'm not good in large groups of new people anyway. And this was obviously very scary. I cried so much when my mum left me at my first
1: uh, um, little flat in Halls. Um, Did you move far away from... It Was your uni far away from home?
2: Oh, no. It was an hour away. I mean, I, my parents live in Hertfordshire and I went to uni in London. So <laughs> it wasn't very far, but it felt it felt huge. It felt like a really, really big deal. And so I had to cook for myself for the first time. And I was enjoying eating whatever I wanted whenever I wanted without my mum or, you know, my sisters or anyone possibly getting in the way and I could just do whatever. So I would enjoy sitting on my bed, eating ready meals like macaroni cheese and all that kind of thing at random hours just because I could.
1: And it was great. I mean, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a fun time. So what happened um, that took you into wellness? What do you think the first... Steps were, or you know, was there a point when it was okay and actually quite a reasonable change in your diet and your lifestyle? Oh, no, oh, no, 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 <laughs> I am hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent, yeah, <laughs> pretty much.
2: So, my dad had a blood test which showed that his cholesterol was really, really high. and uh-huh. um, oh, I can't remember, yeah. I think it was like. His LDL was like at like eight to ten somewhere mm-hmm. like that. Um, his his mum had really high cholesterol as well. You could see the, the the spots in her eyes, and she actually died from complications related to type two diabetes, um, and on and the really high cholesterol and mm-hmm. all of that together. So it was suspected that it might be genetic as a result. So myself and my two sisters, we all had blood tests done as well, and my cholesterol was slightly high. It was about. I think between seven and eight, my LDL at that point. I mean, obviously it's supposed to ideally be below five. And because it was suspected genetic and I was the oldest out of the three of us, it was suggested that I potentially go on statins, aged 20, between 19, I think yeah, 19 or 20. And, but luckily my endocrinologist was quite reasonable and said, look, this might be a one-off just in case we'll give you a year and do another test in a year if it's still high we need to talk about statin seriously Uh, you can make any kind of lifestyle changes in the meantime if you want to just in case but if it's genetic they won't matter Mm -hmm. so you can if you want to but be aware they might not make a difference i went straight to dr google and i found so much so much. What did you look
1: for in those initial searches?
2: I don't even exactly remember I think I was just looking for various miracle things I think I stumbled across some people in America I start and then because I at that same time it was the perfect storm I started in my own Instagram account and I was kind of posting random pictures like with friends or like things that I'd bought the occasional like lint bunny you know that kind of thing and and then so I looked on Instagram as well and I found the wellness community and I found all their wonderful stories of healing themselves through their diet and how they'd cut out so many of these things from their diet and it had done wonders for them and look how beautiful they looked how healthy they looked how compelling their stories were I couldn't possibly resist so I decided to embark on my own wellness journey and call it that uh, probably i was <laughs> probably, i was such a wanker back then like i really like i look back and i'm just like we would never be friends like me and me and me now versus me five years ago we would never be friends like i would pass from the street and go you <laughs> um so i but i i stumbled for i think the one of the first things i stumbled across was the i quit sugar thing in australia because i think sugar was one of those things that just like came up straight mm. away so i did that I did, the, I, I did the whole I quit sugar thing, but unofficially because um, I didn't have the book. I just went by what people were doing online. And so I just did the... So you kind of crowdsourced the rules. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So I was just basically copying what people were doing, copying their recipes. And so I just did, I didn't eat any sugar. And I think I ate no fruit, nothing sweet whatsoever for several weeks. And started going to the gym at the same time. Started eating more vegetables. Was eating like a lot of like oily fish and... Uh, and the, like meat and a bit, of, a bit of cheese, this kind of thing. And then, and then I found the, the UK wellness bloggers and went the other way. So then I went more, you know, vegan,
1: gluten-free. What's, what's the difference between, and maybe it's changed now, but at the time between Aussie wellness and UK wellness?
2: Aussie wellness was definitely more paleo. So it was okay. very much no grains, no sugar, um, Not really much in the way of legumes, beans, anything like that. Definitely like no tofu, Um, no fructose, basically. So it was a lot of vegetables, meat, fish, fish, bit of cheese. Not that much else. Yeah, there's not much
1: room for much else. A few nuts maybe? Yeah, a few
2: nuts. But I was literally eating like salads with like smoked salmon. And yeah think they'll salad with, with chicken or mm. like chicken and vegetables, those kinds of things. Um not really eating many carbs at all. I think at one point like I was had such a big craving for blueberries that I just devoured like an entire packet, inhaled in like two seconds mm. and then felt guilty for ages. Um because you shouldn't have been eating fruit. Oh yeah no, because even no. low low, low <laughs> like low sugar fruits, yeah. Not even berries, no, which are yeah, which are considered to be the the, the borderline okay. Mm. No. Um and then yeah I switched from there did almost like a 180 into uk wellness which was very much the rise of the very much the rise of the clean eating which was very much it was all vegan gluten-free refined sugar free it was soy free um yeah so yeah i was not eating any animal products i wasn't eating any soy no gluten no refined sugar plenty of maple syrup so many dates so much nut butter (laughs) oh my god all these, like, raw vegan desserts, all those kind of things. I was eating all of that. So I was, And so I was eating, like, giant fruit platters followed by the most humongous salads you've ever seen with, like, a whole can of beans, loads of veg, loads of salad leaves and hummus for dinner.
1: And were you, like, seeing as you kind of went into this in t- to try to help, possibly, a health, health condition, were you tracking your cholesterol in or in to check the response of your body to these changes
2: nope i wasn't tracking
1: but i was
2: recording all my meals on instagram by posting beautiful pictures in really lovely like yellow light under like artificial yellow light with my hand just out with the plate on it and just going, snap, it was really unattractive. I've deleted all those pictures now, so no one will ever find them. <laughs> and I started, I posted them on my on my Instagram with the, you know, hashtag wellness, hashtag clean eating, um, hashtag vegan, hashtag gluten free. And I started getting followers. People started to care about what I was eating. And I thought,
1: this is amazing. I'm going to keep doing this. Is that what you thought? Because it, didn't it strike you was a bit weird or did it just feel great that everyone was like oh look I'm so interested in in your food I
2: thought it was great because I saw people admiring these really popular health and uh, clean eating bloggers and I thought I would love to be like them imagine like you know being so so admired for the way you eat and just being just being so admired and being given so much praise on social media just Mm. in general you know I don't think many people would be able to resist the charm of receiving endless praise and very little negativity from total strangers on a regular basis of course it's so compelling you, I mean it's kind of addictive in a way it's you,
1: extraordinary isn't it yeah. I mean it's absolutely extraordinary that um, well two things yes that, that um, the first thing that we kind of don't ever talk about is that this is praise from complete strangers yeah
2: who've never seen my face and have no idea who I am or what
1: I look like or anything about me other than what I eat it's really strange well because I was assuming that you were putting like selfies and pictures and things no
2: just food nothing but flat lays of food wow Wow. with with very little insight into my life my early captions were literally just "Mm, yum here's my dinner and stuff like that or like oh today i had overnight oats with maca and spirulina and cacao nibs and whatever the fresh hell i could imagine
1: and what were people saying back to you what were, what was the praise that you were receiving for these salads and fruit platters?
2: people were saying it looked delicious people were like oh my god you're so healthy you're you you must be you must yeah like you must be so healthy this looks delicious this looks amazing wow go you all this kind of stuff and you know just really been like this is amazing what you're doing is so great which obviously inspired me to keep going and so I kept going and kept going and uh started doing you know started drinking juice started taking all these superfoods because I was getting them for free from the companies because they were willing to send me them because I posted about them on my social media so all these expensive wellness products I was getting them all for free I, was, I wasn't really paying for anything. Mm. So I was giving, I was almost lying to people in the sense that I was making out that all this was possible on a student budget without actually paying for any of it myself. So this was before the kind of
1: hashtag ad or sponsored Way post. before, we're
2: talking five years ago, I think at least, we're talking about, yeah, 2012, 2013, mm. around, around that time. No one did any kind of disclosure as to whether they were given stuff for free or anything was sponsored. No, not at all. But I wasn't being paid at this point. I was literally just receiving products. I would just be like, yes, send me all these wonderful things and I'll post about them on my social media. I was just so happy I was getting free stuff. It's like, I'm getting free food. It's not food. It's absolutely vile. Of the stuff I, most of the stuff I was given was absolutely disgusting beyond belief. It was
1: tasteless. It was expensive. It was so bad. Was okay, so fabulous. let's extrapolate and like break some stuff down. So, aside from the praise so aside from the wonderful boost what well, kind of on one level it's a boost but on another level it's quite it's kind of fragile isn't it this kind of um external praise uh, that you kind of need to re-establish every day mm. before people start dropping off and that you have to do these things but
3: we can talk about that
1: um aside from the psychological boost you got from having people tell you how wonderful you were how were you feeling do you can you remember how you were feeling? Did you feel good? Yeah. Or like, what was initially, I did feel better, yeah, because I went from
2: eating what would be considered to be not the very not a very particularly nutritious diet to all of a sudden cooking a lot more from scratch and eating a lot more fruits and vegetables and getting probably a lot more nutrients and a lot more fiber than I was used to. I was pooing so well. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. My fibre intake was off the charts. It was incredible. And so yeah, I mean and at the same time I started going to the gym and started exercising and started moving my body and, you know, sleeping properly and drinking less alcohol. And obviously, you know, that those things all add up to you generally feeling quite better and also wanting so desperately for it to make you feel better that it actually does to an mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. And at first I was, you know, riding the high of you know, it being just thinking it was all so great feeling happy because I was getting lots of external validation as well which which did help Uh, but it didn't last all that long it started me I did get really tired worn out and stressed about it very quickly
1: physically tired or mentally tired both
2: just the you know just being having to keep up with everything on social media and getting me
1: keep up what did you have to do
2: I just I got quite obsessed with my like follow account I got obsessed I had all the notifications on so every time someone liked my picture I would get a notification and I would need that to constantly wow. happen if, if it like there was like a five minutes where I didn't get a like it would start stressing me out I would, I would deliberately start making food and eating food that I knew would get more likes things like what? like like the like the whole all the salads that have everything kind of laid out Mm -hmm. individually people loved those like people loved porridge at the time everyone was obsessed with porridge so every time i posted a porridge picture it did really well every time i posted like fruit platters or anything that was raw vegan it did so well so i actually started going through periods of eating a lot of raw food just because it would do really well on instagram even though i didn't particularly like it so
1: that was i mean that's really interesting isn't it because that's all about the external need this isn't you responding to oh I really fancy a salad right now or anything to do with your internal hunger this was about feeding a psychological need for validation and confirmation from these strangers who have found you somehow and are are telling you how wonderful they are having never met you known you or or anything about you
2: exactly and then constantly comparing my pictures to other people's pictures and seeing that oh, my pictures aren't as good as this person's no wonder they have more followers than I do and kind of Really getting really too into it and stressing myself out Mm. over it, and then also feeling physically tired because I think I was getting starting to get deficient in B twelve after a while. I, I mean, I it's purely guesswork, but you know I wasn't obviously eating any animal products for a considerable period of time, Mm. and I don't think I was getting enough sort of iron and B twelve in my diet because I I was feeling quite tired even though I was eating a lot of food
1: by volume, but not necessarily in terms of kind of calorie density.
2: Yeah. No, exactly. And I just it was just, just so stressful. And it just wasn't particularly nice. It was socially isolating as well. I got really obsessed with all the minute details of what I was eating. I was avoiding social situations because I wasn't sure that the food that would be there would be healthy enough. And
1: I really had a lot of the hallmarks of orthorexia. I mean, I, I guess one of the things I want to pick up on is... Th- that that's a side of social media accounts that you never really see, and that how stressful it is. Because I don't know, I, I don't know how many followers you would have had at that point.
2: Oh, not that many. I think I was probably maybe on like twenty thousand something okay. like that at that
1: point. So twenty thousand followers, and even then, you were stressed about it, worried about your count, wondering how many people were following you, whether they liked your images enough that it yeah. was creating that level of stress. And I'm thinking about other people out there with well I mean you have hundreds of thousands now but other people out there with huge followings who are posting very regularly and presenting these particular images of themselves a particular persona and I I guess I always wonder what it's like behind the scenes because it's such a manufactured cosmetic that's presented and you never see the behind the scenes until there's a kind of Breakdown or break out i guess you know it yeah. was <laughs> like either everything starts crumbling or people just realize that this something about it is unreal or unhealthy or, or or unhelpful now um so i guess that's one thing i want to just point out for listeners is there's there's always a bigger question to be asked there's always a need to be critical about what you see absolutely and to not take everything at face value and i think that's so difficult because i think in on one level and you both saw it but also offered it to other people was this kind of aspiration you know here you were a student who appeared to be able to afford all this wonderful stuff had the time to work out had the time to create these beautiful elaborate displays of food um Mm. that it becomes aspirational and people want to believe that it's possible Um, and that it's easy and that they can just do it if they try hard enough and actually there's a different story to be told or a fuller story that that also needs to be told.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was way obsessed and spending a lot of time preparing food and photographing food.
1: Were you living by yourself at that point?
2: No, I was living with two guys, believe it or not, at that time. But they they were just enjoying the fact that I was making a lot of food that I wanted them to try. Um, And... I would always add extra sweetness for them when I was making like in like brownies or anything like that but they they were just in, they were mainly enjoying the fact that I was making them food as well as making myself food mm. especially the sweet things like brownies and I made was like making my own chocolate but like vegan chocolate that's okay, like so wellness chocolate take me through, it. Take, take me through it, which is basically' it's, it's coconut oil
1: okay maple syrup mm-hmm.
2: and cacao powder. Okay. And you mix them together, you pour it into a mould, and it solidifies.
1: So it's a little chocolatey saturated fat (laughs) nugget.
2: Yeah, with probably just as much sugar as regular chocolate, but it's maple syrup, so obviously it must be like so healthy. It's not. Yeah, so I was making all that kind of stuff. Gosh. And they were enjoying it.
1: Yeah, they were perks for them. Yeah,
2: you know, they were, what, 20-something-year-old boys. They don't have that many taste
1: buds. They were just enjoying... There was food that they could eat for free. <laughs> um, you mentioned orthorexia. So let's talk about that. It's a term probably that not many people have heard of. Um, do you want to give a description of it before for the
2: listeners yeah so i would describe orthorexia as an unhealthy obsession with being healthy it's not just wanting to be healthy it's to a point where it is obsessive where it disrupts your social life where it disrupts your psychological well-being and in severe cases your physiological well-being as well
1: and is that the point when you had the accidental cheese or when did no you? <laughs> this is much this is further down the line
2: no i mean i obviously didn't recognize it as that at the time mm-hmm. people did point out to me that i needed to chill out my parents were my parents were saying to me why are you avoiding gluten you don't need to avoid gluten my sisters were saying to me like the, like this this raw vegan cheesecake that's not a cheesecake you can't call it a cheesecake when there's it's then there's no cream cheese in it it's not a cheesecake then but i was like no it's so much better than regular cheesecake and it's totally still a cheesecake but it's like so much better because it has cashews rather than cream cheese i had a raw vegan birthday cake oh, and it was pizza. it was not that good I'm so sorry <laughs> i know i missed out on so much good food sorry that that and my poor parents like well they had to deal with it. they had to buy all sorts of weird and wonderful equipment so that every time i went home I could spiralize my my courgette or my zoodles, as I called them at the time. I had to, you know, I was grating courgette into my porridge. I was
1: doing like spiralised courgette. I was, yeah. I mean, courgette farmers have had a great couple of years. Of- oh my God, yeah.
2: <laughs> and the amount of avocados I ate as well. I mean, obviously, I still love avocados. I've always loved avocados. I was weaned off av- on avocados. <laughs> so I've always had a love, but I was eating so much avocado and you know my parents had chickens and they were like why 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 aren't you having the, these amazing eggs from our chickens i was like no eggs are so bad for my cholesterol and yeah i was well, actually I, I even persuaded my parents to like switch to plant milks at some point um and they had to have all these things there every time i was there otherwise i would freak
1: out what do you mean freak out
2: i would i'd be like why is there no almond milk I can't make my porridge what am I supposed to eat if I can't make my porridge what am I supposed to have for breakfast if I'm not having my zotes I just didn't I was like I can't have anything else because God I can't eat bread I
1: can't have toast what was the worry about if you did have toast because it's gluten, we're not talking about toast gluten. having an effect on cholesterol what was the risk of of gluten is the gluten
2: was going to make me bloated and I couldn't put it on my Instagram
1: it <laughs> was a wasted Instagram opportunity yeah it sounds really stupid but that did cross my mind no i don't think it is stupid i think i think when you mentioned um being obsessed with follower account that i think i think social media has given us this new tool that i'm not sure psychologically we're completely ready for in Mm. some ways like obviously it's an incredible tool and you know, you can talk to family on the other side of the world and you can connect with colleagues and people in your field. And it's, it's extraordinary. But I think when I think about basic human needs, like like sense of value or social comparison, um, these kind of fundamental things that affect our sense of self-worth that we're, we're okay managing those in the real world because we have done for millennia and we've worked in, we've been in networks and we've been in social groups and we've worked out hierarchies and compensations and all of that. But we haven't ever in our history before had a a literal counter of our popularity. Yeah, <laughs> We haven't been able to is, say, yeah. oh, today I'm 500 people popular, but yesterday I was 507 people popular what, why am I seven people less popular you know, like why don't these seven people like me what did I do wrong it, you know we've never had that before and I'm not sure we really have got our head around how to manage that and how to not take it as seriously as I think we might be psychologically tempted to mm. I think, um, you know, we
2: also can't process some of these large numbers like the if I think about how many followers I have I have no idea how to picture that many people I don't know what that looks like it's just a number. It doesn't really. It's so mm. hard to visualize and under, and actually understand what that means in terms of people. It just we just see a number.
1: Mm. Yeah, and and the I guess the basic understanding is the more the better. <laughs>
2: like, Generally, yeah. If you're um, not growing, you're doing something wrong. I mean, oh. <sighs> I mean anyway. the biggest thing that I look back on and really regret is the lack of social interaction that I had at that time because wellness really took a lot of some like friendships, but also took a lot just took a lot of social opportunity away from me. And so I didn't really have I didn't have huge amounts of friends. I didn't spend a lot of time with my with the people on my course because they would want to go to like a Chinese buffet for lunch. You know, on my on my birthday uh, I snuck into lectures late and left early so that my classmates wouldn't ask me if I wanted to go to lunch with them because we always went to a Chinese buffet mm. and that was not healthy enough and I didn't know if, if if everything was, was you know, up to the standard that I was expecting. So I just went home instead. And that's miserable. Mm. That's really miserable. And, like, it was so much stress for my parents to find somewhere that we could all go anytime we went out for dinner, like, would, would Pixie approve? And it was just so much stress, so much hassle, and I would actually get really, like, snappy at people if if their food didn't comply with my ridiculously high standards. And I I mean, I'm obviously ashamed of how I behaved sometimes, but, you know, I would, you know, be a real bitch to people sometimes because I was hangry and because they didn't have food that I could eat. Because of these, this ridiculously large set of rules that I imposed on myself that I just couldn't break because it produced such a high amount of anxiety, the idea of breaking these rules. I thought if I broke these rules, I would be so unhealthy and I'd have to go on pills the rest of my life and be potentially die of a heart attack at a young age. And I didn't want that. I thought if I went on statins, I would have failed because again, wellness promotes this idea that natural is good. Pills are bad because they're messing with, because basically you're not, you're not doing enough with your lifestyle if you have to go on pills that's kind of the message that was out there mm-hmm. and so I really internalised that so Ugh, I know <laughs> I
1: know it's because the first time that I came across you was with your I guess it was a kind of I don't know how you would describe it kind of a expose <laughs> post was it the I was wrong
2: yeah. yeah
1: yeah that was a long time coming that one And I think, I mean, we should certainly talk about that, but we still definitely need to hear about the accidental cheese and how you found your way out, because it sounds like there were lots and lots of clues, because sometimes what happens is that people just go along, they don't want to upset the boat, they don't want to tell you you're being a bit difficult, they don't want to... But it sounds like the people around you were aware and they were concerned and they were saying, hey... (laughs)
2: He's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Why are you doing this? And they, you know, were doing it in a really, really nice way. They weren't. It wasn't confrontation. It was just genuinely curious, like getting me to actually question my own decisions. And I wasn't having any of it. I was like, No, <laughs> like, no. I am. Like, I am so right, and you're all wrong. And you're all going to be so unhealthy, and I'm the one who's going to live forever. <laughs>
1: uh, and that's the kind of separation that happens in the mind, right? It's kind of, I'm right, you're wrong. This real black and white. Yeah splitting that happens which was... yeah and
2: you know I was studying biochemistry at the time which doesn't sound like it would necessarily go together but if you I mean for people who don't know which is most people a biochemistry degree is so specific that you really struggle to actually relate it to the human body I mean the stuff I did in third year it was so so much you were going to such detail of specific pathways I did an entire module just on photosynthesis like you learn that in GCSE it's like this really simple equation yeah. oh no it is so complicated I did like entire modules on like microbial metabolism and things like that you just don't relate it to your own physical form and the way that your body works you just it it's feels too abstract yeah exactly and so although it seems quite strange that I was doing a science degree but doing all this following all the pseudoscience with my degree it just, it just didn't match up because my degree felt so far removed mm. from what I was feeding myself
1: but also, your your degree was tapping into reason and a uh, rationalism, whereas actually what drew you into to wellness was much more psychological, right? It was yeah. anxiety about your father's health, fear about what that meant for your own health, aspiration and admiration for all of these people who you saw on social media, and then all of the validation that you were getting from the people who began following you so we have this complete separation between what might have been a a a rational critical appraisal of what was happening um, compared to that very compelling psychological rationale that you had that was driving you along
2: yeah absolutely yeah so after my degree, I went off traveling for a year with my with my then boyfriend at the time. We went traveling together for almost a year. Was he into wellness as well? No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, not at all. Like so far removed. So far removed. So how um, did that work? How did, did he just like quietly ate what he wanted while you were out? Did you?
2: Oh, we, we just cooked separate things for each other okay. at home, so it was fine and um we went to australia and nice. um so i spent several months living in melbourne uh, on the east coast of australia and working in an organic health food shop i had I had pretty much n- almost no experience but they hired me because i knew what all the weird and wonderful health products that were on their shelves i knew what they all were and i knew how to i knew how they
1: worked the assumed benefit. Yes, of these exactly.
2: I could explain them. I could describe them. I could direct people to what they needed potentially. And so they decided to hire me, which was very lovely of them. Um, it was a lovely place. Like I, the people were so nice. I had such a good time working there. It was really good pay as well. <laughs> well, Australia has gives you, yeah, it's great. And, um, <laughs> but it put me into contact with a lot of extreme people I thought what I I mean looking back it was so much more extreme than anything in the UK there were people who would come into the shop who were wearing masks like proper like gas masks because they were they claimed to be allergic to pretty much anything including plastic there were people who would come in wearing and only touch anything with a glove because they didn't want to accidentally touch any food that might contaminate in some way Um, There were people who would only pay by cash because they were worried the government was tracking them and they didn't want, you know, they didn't want anything like that. There was a lot of conspiracy theory action going on, you know, like chemtrails, forced, like, I mean, so much like government influence, like, yeah. They're trying to control your mind. All that stuff. Putting stuff in the water. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, you know, like fluoride-free toothpaste, all that kind of stuff and I was then also obviously friends with a couple of other wellness bloggers out there because that's what wellness bloggers do when they go to other places they meet up with fellow wellness bloggers who reinforce their echo chamber
1: and have salads
2: yeah and just go eat these salads together and and vegan ice cream <laughs> and uh, one of one of them at one point said I would never dream of vaccinating my children And when she said that, my brain just went, holy shit, this is so wrong. What am I doing here? What am I doing with these people? I don't belong here. What is going on? It was like a literal switch at that point. I just sat there in silence, like, oh my God, I couldn't believe what I just heard. And it was like, you know, it was almost like the, the past few years of my life, it kind of flashed before my eyes. And I saw all this, the way that, this whole movement that I thought was just about me trying to be healthier was linked to all these weird conspiracies, all these all these dangerous messages that were actually really, really dangerous to people's health and how it all fit together. And I just thought, no.
1: What do you think you found so startling about that comment? Why did that affect you like that? I'm not sure
2: why it was that in particular. I think it was just because it wasn't about food. It was, it just seemed, it just was so wrong in my eyes. I mean, I knew that... I knew and I still know now that vaccination is an amazing feat of science and it's such a wonderful thing. And you know, I could relate that to years and years of science in school and years of, like, of this being, like, a good thing. And then these people were saying things like that and it kind of, that was almost like the catalyst that triggered all these other things that, that were, like, it made me think of all the other stupid things that people had said about, like, chemtrails, about non-organic food basically being poison all these kind of things it was kind of the thing that made me put all this together mm. and just go no no thanks I'm out it's, um, I mean, it
1: sounds like you kind of came up for air almost it was like you'd been submerged yeah. in this like, I was oh, in this suddenly uh,
2: yeah I was like in this bubble and all of a sudden it was like someone had gone poof and the whole bubble just completely exploded and it was really scary
1: I, I imagine it would be actually quite traumatic because by then you'd been in for a couple of years? Yeah, like three years. Three years of living in this kind of lifestyle and having it reinforced um, reinforcing it yourself for other people um, and I suppose only looking and reading at things that reinforce that and all of that sort of stuff Yeah, that it must have felt quite unsettling and kind of destabilising to suddenly have this Awakening. Yeah, it it really
2: was really sudden. And I kind of didn't really say much for the rest of the day. I was just kind of in in shock. And then I went home and just kind of just, you know, thought, okay, I need to think about everything I've been told and everything I thought was true in the last few years. And I kind of systematically went through, looked at different things. I found the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, (laughs) which is one of the best websites I've ever found. So I found The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and I started, I like websites like Quack Watch and things like that. And once I found one, I found the next, found the next. And I didn't just read what they wrote. I read their references. I looked at other references. I actually looked at so much information. I It didn't take just one, just reading something to convince me that everything Mm. I thought was wrong. I wanted to make absolutely sure that this time what I was reading was actually going to be accurate mm. and so i would read all the references i would cross check that with like wikipedia Cross, i mean it's not the most reliable source but it is just, you know for basic science it's pretty good and i cross check that with other things and look at their references and see how it all fit together and over time i was doing this kind of in secret pretty much i didn't tell anyone that this is what i was doing and i thought sort of, you're over- still
1: maintaining your account yeah at the same time? i didn't know what
2: i didn't know what to do i thought if i you know i, I just kept going on as if everything was normal and okay because i didn't i needed to fully convince myself before i would kind of almost reveal it Mm. to the world and so it took a bit of time and then yeah i was in this 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 restaurant it was a vegetarian and vegan restaurant with a australian blogger
0: there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush Care.
2: who was, like, 80% raw, really intense, you know, we're talking, like, juicing a lot, buying really ridiculously expensive organic produce from, like, a really small place with cash only. Chemtrails, the works. Um, She was, like, she was nuts. Completely, (laughs) like, oh, my God. I can't believe I was friends with her. Like, she was, she's never going to hear this, so it's fine. (laughs) I think she also, she blocked me on social media a while back, so it's all good. Um... And so I ordered this like veggie stack and I forgot to say the vegan version rather than the vegetarian version. And it arrived and there was, I could see like, there's cheese on this, there's cheese on this. And I just thought to myself, fuck it, I'm just going to eat it. Because I, I was too embarrassed to send it mm, back mm-hmm. to admit that I'd made a mistake. So I was just like, I'm just going to eat it. And so I was, you know, eating it and, you know, trying to have a conversation and just, or I just turned the plate so that she wouldn't see that nice bit of like cheese, like melted cheese dripping down. Oh, beautiful.
1: And just you know, casually eating it in my head. I was just going, oh, my God, I'm eating cheese. And what, what was that feeling? Was that excitement, fear, anxiety? It was kind of
2: exciting. I was like, I'm secretly eating cheese in front of someone who's basically almost completely raw vegan who would freak out if she saw that this was what I was eating but she hasn't noticed and it was great and obviously it tasted amazing it tasted so good and in my head I was kind of like I'm kind of freaking out but this is kind of one of the best things I've eaten in like a really long time and you know nothing bad happened no bad physical reaction whatsoever in fact I felt so good afterwards I was like this is amazing and um yeah i was like i I need to eat more
1: cheese
3: (laughs) i need to eat more of this stuff
2: and i thought you know if if i'm okay with cheese i'm definitely going to be okay with gluten gluten came back into the equation life felt so much better um and and then i started getting rid i started stop i stopped taking all my superfoods i'd taken them with me to australia obviously um, obviously in my suitcase and uh, had my mum sent me more from the uk as well and uh and also I got sent loads of stuff while I was in Australia as well. So much stuff. Like really like expensive green powders and weird things like that. I just stopped taking them and realised, you know what? I don't feel any different. You didn't die? Nothing bad happened. Didn't feel any different whatsoever. Your hair
1: didn't lose its shine.
2: No. I didn't, you know, suddenly start becoming like a ball of toxins. Like <laughs> I was totally okay. So I just carried on not taking them. Went back to drinking coffee. Felt even better. The coffee was out as well. Oh yeah, because you have to have maca instead of coffee in the mornings. So that's what really gives you energy. Yeah, I've,
1: I've only just discovered, heard of maca really quite recently. I'm not really okay, and I don't understand the life of me what an adaptogen is. Because it's, um, it's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not a thing. It's it's it's, it's not. A thing. It's almost as if you just like add a gin onto the end of things. It makes it real. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like science. Boom. <laughs> Um, no, not quite.
2: The, yeah, no, I, so I just started feeling so much better.
1: The psychologist in me, which is most of me, <laughs> <laughs> really wonders how accidental the ordering of the vegetarian instead of the vegan mm. um, stack would have been. Like I, having, you know, you would already have been reading these things and kind of de-radicalizing yourself in yeah. in one sense whether there was this kind of unconscious drive to test it out in the yeah. real world it's just it, it's possible in my
2: mind it was it felt accidental it felt like i'd made a mistake and i was i was close to saying oh actually this isn't what i wanted and close to saying something and in my head you know there was part of my head that part of my brain that was freaking out at the mm. fact that this was cheese
1: but, but it's not an accident you'd made before no like, Not ordering a vegan version. It's just curious timing. Therapists do this kind of thing. Um, (laughs) um, What else? You mentioned something. Oh, I wondered whether, because you were surreptitiously eating this cheese in front of this zealot, this (laughs) wellness radical, was there a worry about um, kind of backlash? You know, if you came out as a cheesy Oh my God, (laughs) yes.
2: It took me a lot longer um, to actually admit on
1: Instagram that I was eating non-vegan food. Um, Tell me about the decision to do that. Because that's where I first heard of you, was with Mm. the I made a mistake guys post. So,
2: I mean, I came back from Australia and went back to my... I was living with my parents in the meantime between coming back from Australia and going off to uni again. Uh, That was the point where I decided, hey, maybe I should study nutrition. Um, (laughs) It was a very spontaneous decision. Um, And I went went back and just started eating eggs. And my parents were just like, yes.
1: (laughs) Did (laughs) Um, they say anything or were they just... Quietly, please. I
2: don't really, I don't remember, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, I just remember that summer I just started eating a lot more different things. I discovered an absolute undying love for halloumi and and just a love for cheese in general, like, and just, just started being a lot more relaxed about what I was eating and just enjoying myself a lot more. And at that point, I thought, I'm hiding most of what I'm eating on my social media. So rather than just make some kind of big announcement, I um, just subtly put in some cheese and then subtly put in some egg and waited for people to notice. I know they did. <laughs> really? um, I lost a lot of followers. Gradually over time, I mean, over the next year, my following completely stalled. For a whole year, I basically didn't gain, or like the net was zero, basically. Um, and I pretty much stayed at the same level for a whole year while people realized that I wasn't vegan and that I wasn't super wellness and that I was actually talking about science now and, uh, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, a lot of people stayed, which is really lovely. A lot of people thought it was amazing and really, you know, were really supportive, but I got a lot of abuse.
1: Actual abuse.
2: Yeah, I got a lot of DMs and a lot of messages from people like saying I was a terrible, terrible person for eating um, some eggs from my from my parents' backyard,
1: uh, which was not ideal. It was upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to understand the context of terrible. I mean, because it a terrible, terrible person. You know, I've I've it, it just feels extraordinary that it's so you extreme. Would, you would be called a bad person. For eating, an egg, yeah,
2: and not not even you know it wasn't like I went straight into you know the most unethical conditions imaginable. I I was eating eggs from my parents'
1: chickens in their backyard, who have the most amazing life. It's such a, it's such an unnaturally dichotomous and also I'm going to choose a gentler word than what. (laughs) the narcissistic position (laughs) to be in (laughs) because there is you know aside from what you might have your personal beliefs about someone's food choices or their religious choices or their sexual orientation whatever we understand that there are a plethora of ways of living a human life and whilst they may not jive with our own personal choices whatever they might be that other people have the right to live their lives Mm. but there's something quite audacious about someone who kind of arrogates to themselves the right to tell you how bad you are as a human being for your food choices
2: yeah and so many like oh i thought you were vegan and I, i never identified as vegan because it was never about ethics for me it was purely a any dietary decisions i made were purely health decisions (laughs) quote-unquote health decisions not obviously ended up making me more unhealthy but Mm -hmm. my intention was to be healthier so it was never that i i'd never cut out animal products in order like to save the environment or to save the animals Mm -hmm. that wasn't what i did i did it for very selfish reasons i did it for because i wanted to make myself healthier um turns out that wasn't the right way to do it but i so i never identified as vegan Mm. granted I would use hashtag vegan but that was to get more followers (laughs) so but people were extremely nasty um and so yeah yeah for the next year as I you know started posting more pictures of a lot of cheese and just in general you know like chocolate and things full of refined sugar and all this kind of thing and started writing about the science behind what we were eating and how, like, starting dispelling a lot of myths. Yeah, I just didn't really gain, net gain any followers for Mm. a a whole year. How
1: Uh, was that for you? I mean, because in the beginning, mm. gaining followers and getting all of this praise was one of the main drivers, and then you suddenly have this experience for over a year where that doesn't happen. Yeah. What was going through your mind at that time?
2: I kind of became okay with it because... I thought it doesn't at the moment it doesn't matter because i'm studying i'm learning something i'm learning something of value i i thought i thought over time all those of the extreme vegans would would disappear and then it would all be, be okay again and it would kind of pick up after a while i said you know i said i sort of said to myself this is kind of okay because it's just going to be like a, a short temporary thing that might be you know a couple of weeks couple of months and uh But in the meantime, I am learning something really interesting, useful that I do feel very passionate about and want to share with with people. And so I kind of forced myself to be okay with it. And also I had to obviously kind of understand that followers is not the most important thing. And it's very easy to say that, of course, but it it was much harder to actually just kind of reinforce that idea. And I kind of worked my way around that by forging a lot more personal interesting and professional connections with people who I was meeting on social media so rather than just being like people follow me I made it more about the connections I could create with other people um so you know fellow nutritionists other healthcare professionals food writers um chefs all sorts of people I just made sure that I was actually getting that I was getting something out of these connections mm-hmm. with people uh, rather than just making it about people following me that I found really helpful. And I still really love that aspect of social media. The, the, you know, the amount of people that I've met and spoken to who, you know, I can talk to and have amazing conversations with about food, about health, about nutrition and all sorts of things. And so I care a lot less about the followers. Because in the end, it, that doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously it's been helpful. If it weren't for the amount of followers I had, I don't think I would have a book deal. But there's so much more important things. If you look at how many stupid, idiotic, really irresponsible people have huge, huge numbers of followers, you kind of realise that, you know, it's not the most important thing. And actually it's not, it doesn't equate to your self-worth.
1: It's not really, yeah, it's not a proxy for... Yeah, kind of value.
2: Or I mean, it still it still feels nice when you get a, when you have a post that does better than what you expect. It's and of course it's a nice feeling. You, go, you know, you can't really can't deny that. Mm. It's still true, but it matters a lot less to me now than it used to.
1: Yeah, there's a little bit of balancing. It's an added bonus, maybe. Yeah, a little, yeah, a little exactly.
2: It's more in the sense that I I sort of phrase it to myself that if it reaches more people, if more people like it, more people see it, that means there's more people reach more people who are reading what I've written which is I think accurate and balanced and professional rather than maybe reading something that might do them some damage on social media so the more people I'm reaching with the message that I'm trying to get out there the more I can potentially help people feel better around food Mm
3: -hmm.
2: so it's more about I want my followers to increase I want to reach more people because I want to be able to help or have some positive impact on those people if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so it's more about them than me
1: And is that why you wrote that piece?
2: Yes. So partly, I I mean, I wrote that, I think it was inspired by the fact that I received some uh, money through PayPal from a superfood company that I used to have an affiliate link for, which I had removed much earlier. Um, So it wasn't active on my website anymore, but I'd somehow, someone must have, you know, had it. From previously, and decided to use it, and so there's like ten pounds came in through PayPal from the superfood company, and I thought, mm, this is not okay. Mm. I should, you know, I can do something positive with this. So I asked people, you know, where should I donate it to? And I then I then I wrote about all the mistakes that I'd made and why it's okay to kind of admit to those mistakes and why I was why why I was committed to do better in the future including doing an actual master's in nutrition
1: to actually be qualified to talk about food and nutrition. Because that's really interesting, isn't it? That you needed more convincing of the uh, scientific position Mm -hmm. of things than you did on the wellness position. Yeah, but that was partly to
2: learn from my mistakes. I didn't want to just read something and automatically assume that what I was reading was correct. So it it was that I just didn't want to make the same mistake twice. And although it would have been ideal if it had been like the other way around but at least I, I'm i glad I did it that way I'm glad it took me some convincing because it means that I didn't just jump straight into it and just go back into believing everything that I read I gained some real critical thinking skills became a real sceptic and that's those are useful skills that I still use to this day and will mm-hmm. continue to use for the rest of my career so I'm glad that I was sceptical of the science even because I think it's a useful skill to apply mm-hmm. to anything that you read
1: Yeah, and the scientific approach is to be sceptical, isn't it? It's kind of, we'll just, I'll just check that. Yeah, (laughs) just (laughs) double check whether that's actually a thing. Yeah. So you mentioned the book. Tell me about the book. The book. So the
2: book is so it's a complete guide to sorting nutrition fact from fiction using evidence based science. The whole idea behind it was um, I kind of became known on social media for doing more myth busting things and. I sort of, all the kind of the wellness myths, all the kind of ridiculous things that the wellness industry has said about food and health. I was very publicly debunking those and very publicly um, comparing it to the science and especially based on my own experiences. So anything that I fell for, I had, I was analyzing and reanalyzing and writing about. And I wanted that to reach more people than just through my Instagram. obviously I can reach I can reach a lot of people through my Instagram but I can potentially reach even more people with a book and I didn't think it was something I could ever do but I was luckily approached while I was still studying so I had some time to think about it and had some time to like create a proposal and I could start pretty much start writing almost as soon as I finished um my master's which was really great um anyway back to the book so um Every single chapter in the book is dedicated to a particular wellness nutrition myth that has thrived, particularly because of the wellness industry on social media, particularly because of wellness bloggers and particularly on social media. So there's like a, there's a, there's a chapter on gluten, there's a chapter on refined sugar, there's one on superfoods, there's even a whole one dedicated to the alkaline diet because I hate it that much. Um, There's also a little introduction at the beginning with some basic nutritional biochemistry, just to kind of make sure that anything I talk about in the book is understandable Mm. and that, you know, you have kind of the basics to come back to. Um, And also every single chapter has a dedicated uh, themed set of recipes So the idea is that you read all the science, all the theory, and then you can put it into practice uh, with some seriously delicious recipes that will hopefully help you appreciate just how wonderful food is, because the focus is definitely on flavor and deliciousness above anything else. So you won't find any courgette, any zotes, anything like that. There is lots of gluten, lots of sugar. I think, what was it, six different types of sugar in this book? There's potatoes, lots of potatoes and even more gluten and lots you, of cheese
1: <laughs> what what was the process of writing the book like because you said you didn't think you'd ever be able to do it why did you think that and what was the process like?
2: i was really bad at en- well I'm not bad i really hated english in school and that's why i thought i would never be a writer in any way but i would guess you know i was so passionate about science communication i still am so passionate about science communication that i kind of saw this as just another way of you know getting that message out so i really wanted to do it well and luckily my publishers really liked my voice which is very more casual more conversational a uh, bit cynical bit sarcastic bit sweary um there's a there's a fair bit of swearing uh, in, <laughs> in the book. I had to cut out some of my really angry sweary fucks in the book but, and, uh, and
1: anything libellous. <laughs> yes,
2: uh, yes, I did have to do that. Uh, so just eradicate a few names, that kind of thing. Yeah, we'll um, but no, way. so I was just literally I was you know doing some research and then I would just sit there and read something that would make me angry and go off on a rant and just write everything just write, you know whether it's you know a few hundred or a few thousand words of just getting angry and getting passionate and getting just getting really passionate about what i was trying to debunk
1: why were you angry that's an interesting choice of word i think it's appropriate prep but mm. what does the anger mean to you
2: the anger was at the effect that all this misinformation can have because i obviously saw all the effect all that misinformation had on me and the the kind of the the negative impact it had on me especially psychologically the and i just thought of the amount of things i'd missed out on the amount of things i believed how much anxiety and stress i put on myself because of believing all this misinformation and just made me angry that these people would exploit people in this way and i didn't want it to happen to anyone else obviously it will because that's inevitable but if i can i thought if you know if i can stop this happening to someone else then that's good and i so i need to get angry. i need to get passionate because that makes for more entertaining reading as well which means people are more likely to read it i didn't want it to be a boring science book mm-hmm. i wanted people to actually pick it up learn something but in a funny entertaining and interesting way as well so i thought if i channel my every i thought you know every time i channel my anger on my social media it goes down really well people love it when i get angry about something people love the, the passion mm and people respond way more to that than just oh here's some interesting fact about this research people don't care as much if i do that so i wanted to channel that into the book as well
1: i think there's a a really important point about um, science communication because i wonder maybe, maybe you can answer this do you think even though you did get drawn in and there are lots of reasons why do you think having a grounding in science was part of the inoculation for you from staying in wellness to help you get out that you had a kind of frame of reference to Mm. to escape
2: in some sense yes because it enabled me to actually look at all the the research look at all the papers um when I started questioning things it allowed I had access to those I there wasn't any kind of um that barrier wasn't there I could Mm. read the research I could understand it that was really helpful. I think if I didn't have that, it would have been a lot more difficult mm. to get out.
1: Because I wonder whether there's a lot of nonsense out there on social media. And when I read it, I, I'm i mostly just bemused at how ridiculous it is um, and how it has no grounding in, in just the basic laws of physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sometimes exactly. these things are just, that's just not how molecules work it's just not how energy works it's just not how it happens um, and I feel like perhaps if people had more of a and not even anything in depth but just had a more casual but um broad introduction to science or I suppose we all do science but um, a greater familiarity with it that people could be almost inoculated against some of the more intense and wild uh, claims that are made in wellness and in other parts of of the world, and in news, and and things that get drawn into conspiracies and that, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I find it really interesting. Um, and obviously, I work with a lot of people who do get drawn in to particular claims and particular anxieties about food. Um, and and often one of the most useful things is just to say, "Hey, this is the science. This is how ha- this this is why that can't be true." Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and the relief that people get is enormous. And I just, you know, I find it really interesting and concerning at the same time that there's this wild kind of wild west situation where people are just throwing information out all left, right and center. And yet we have the tools to question and critique all of this stuff, but they seem difficult to access perhaps or mm. maybe they seem scary and
2: i think they seem boring to a lot of people i think a lot of people you know think back to science gcse mm. and think it was dull and you had to do really boring tests and it was very here is the truth here is what's here is how it works and there's a lot less understanding of how the scientific process works i think there needs to be a i think if people understood the scientific process a lot better they would have maybe perhaps a better appreciation of the science Mm -hmm. and therefore a better, a more sceptical approach to
1: life as well. What would you want people to understand about the process?
2: How things actually go from being an idea to being what is generally considered to be scientific consensus, that it's not the case that, you know, someone publishes one study and all of a sudden everyone goes, Oh my God, we need to change our entire guidelines because of this one study. Or even just how we get from having an idea to actually getting something published. I think people really don't understand how difficult it is to get research published and how difficult it is to do research. Mm. And what it even means, you know, even just having a basic understanding of statistics, to understand what statistically significant actually means is is kind of a big deal. And I think we've had in the past a lot of science communication has been very dull it's been done by mainly old white men who can't really necessarily relate as well to young people Mm -hmm. and then you know in contrast to that you've got these really charismatic young bloggers who feel who people can relate to a lot more or aspire to and aspire to as well who are not not speaking to them in any kind of condescending way which is you know it is quite easily done with science to be potentially condesc- condescending. It's hard. I mean, it's something I, I, you know, I struggle with as well. I think a lot of people struggle to make science interesting and and uh, accessible And accessible without mm-hmm. being condescending. And, you know, these people going, oh, I did this. You can do it too. And just being really welcoming. Of course, that's going to be more interesting mm-hmm. to people. And they're going to respond to that a lot more than some, you know, old rich white guy who just seems so far removed from, from their life
1: telling them what to do. So what do you think science or science, the body of science, <laughs> or, or science communicators need to do? What do you see as the, the need out there?
2: We need. I think we need a lot more scientists, science communicators, healthcare professionals on social media, who are social media savvy, who understand how to post, how to present their message in a factual, accurate, but also interesting and entertaining way. Mm-hmm. It's starting to happen. You know, there there are some really amazing people on social media who are really growing as well, who are really putting amazing messages out there in a really interesting, accessible, and entertaining way. But it's not enough. It still mm. needs to it still needs to keep going. We still need so much more. And I think we need to harness social media and just so we can counteract a lot of the bollocks mm-hmm. that's on there. Because the best place to do that is is the best place to, to you know, counteract bollocks on social media. Is social media yeah. that's why that's why i use instagram as much as i do because it is the place where all the all the wellness bollocks thrives so i want to be on there and i want people to find me that way so that they can learn something that they might not necessarily have expected to learn mm-hmm. they didn't see necessarily seek it out and they just
1: kind of taking the fight to them yeah i think you make a really 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 good point um because it really startled me and, and you said it at the beginning actually that when you found out about the genetic possible genetic risk for cholesterol in your family that you went to professor google and then onto social media mm. and i think what a lot of certainly it took me by surprise how many people are using social media as a health resource because I, you know, I'm Instagram is pictures of food and maybe the beach and mostly food and, you know, I never, and abs. <laughs> I would never really have thought of it as a resource for facts and evidence and science and information. Um, and then I suddenly realised that actually lots of people were getting their information from instagram and i was really startled was actually anyone anyone can set up an account and they can say what they like and they don't have to validate it they don't have to um show any evidence they don't they just need to be kind of confident and a a bit convincing and
2: and also you know science can be very um oh what's that i'm looking for like hierarchical hierarchical is that the word Hierarchical. hierarchical So it sounds to be very hi- hierarchical. <laughs> I can't really say that. Whereas on Instagram, it seems like everyone's equal. Mm. So everyone, mm. everyone can voice an opinion. Everyone seems quite on the same playing field, yeah. and I think that appeals to people on social media as well. They look at what someone's posting and they feel like they could be on the same level as them. They don't feel like this person is necessarily at a much higher level mm. that is it's not intimidating. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, I think that definitely plays a role and you know if someone reads something ridiculous on so on their instagram and then scrolls a bit further and then my picture comes up and something sensible comes up underneath it at least it potentially might make them think twice about what they read before mm. yeah
1: yeah which is only a good thing no absolutely and i think one of the, the real difficulties i think is that all of the all of the but most of the people doing the work the researchers and the technicians and the clinicians uh, aren't trained in social media or they're not trained in, mm. in science communication and or they're just busy, they're in the labs doing the science Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're doing the science that the rest of us will write about on Twitter <laughs> okay. um, and so there's this kind of little vacuum between the work that's being conducted in the lab or in the field or wherever um, and then the communication of it which tends to come out in journals sure, but you know the PubMed website is dollars dishwater oh my god yes um (laughs) or perhaps in some sensationalized headline which will you know editors will just choose because it'll get more clicks or it'll get more readers but seems for public for for the audience to change every other day so it it becomes less reliable and Mm. less believable or on the old documentary you know it, mm. it and it's just it's yeah. not there in people's pockets it's not interesting you know exactly to say that it's not accessible and doesn't seem relevant whereas what unqualified be generous <laughs> unqualified people who might be you know unknowingly sharing nonsense aren't you know, they're not held back by any of those things. They don't have Mm. to go through a particular channel to get their information out. They don't need to do a press release. They can just post whatever they feel like whenever they feel inspired to do so.
2: You don't have to reference on social media, especially on Instagram, (laughs) because you can't include clickable links.
1: (laughs) They need to work on that.
2: (laughs) That would be really good. I get people asking me for references on Instagram, which I always think is great. It adds a lot of extra workload sometimes, Mm. but I would rather people ask. And I will always send references to people if they ask for them yeah. even if it means i oh, was like oh crap i deleted that tab let me go back and find it um i'd rather people ask always in fact i you mentioned about people in clinic saying you know you you explain the science to them and all of a sudden it feels like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders i actually really dislike when people when i explain the science to someone in clinic and they just go oh okay it's like no, no ask questions like the what i don't want is for them to just blindly believe what i say just mm. because just because i have a degree i want people to question i always say do you have any questions about this do you want to what do you want to know ask me questions like don't assume that the science i I've what i'm saying is definitely always 100 percent right i mean i try but i'd i, would, I would just want people to be like no no blindly believing things is what got you in this mess in the first place I mean, that sounds quite harsh but it's kind of true at the same time and no question ask me questions if you read something that contradicts about that contradicts what I'm saying tell
1: me and we can talk through it but don't just blindly believe everything. I think that's the a good point to make about a a professional or ethical researcher or communicator is that we really like to be asked questions and we're happy to be challenged because it's not about ego it's about the yes. evidence but please politely and without, <laughs> and without swearing and saying that i am uh, like a, some really terrible person because of the way i eat <laughs> yes politeness please with those caveats <laughs> challenge is really is really welcomed because you know we are happy, and i suppose the scientific process is a, it's constantly about proving something wrong it's always about saying well actually let's try it this way and see if we still get the same result is that right are you sure are you sure and and the other thing I think about professionals is that we're all held to codes of ethics and codes of professional conduct and and I think some, perhaps that's part of the problem with getting the message across is that we can't make big, dramatic statements about how, how a particular food or exercise regime or behaviour is going to change your life and take away all your problems yeah. and make everything fantastic and sunshiny again. Because, A, that's not true. But B it's unethical, we can't do that and we could be prosecuted. (laughs) Um, Whereas other people aren't held to those sorts of standards so they can make these much more engaging, dramatic, sensational claims that draw people in. So there's slightly an unlevel playing field there. Exactly, and that is why I use sarcasm and swearing. (laughs) These are the tools at my disposal that are technically still ethical. (laughs) Fantastic. Is there anything that you would like people to know or ask? What is your kind of hope that people get from this conversation or from your book?
3: I
2: hope that it inspires people to think more critically about what they read, especially online. That's the main thing. Um, The whole point of being a wellness rebel is to be sceptical, to ask questions and to recognise that followers do not equate to qualifications and expertise. Um, but most importantly, I just want people to realise that you can eat all the food groups, you can eat all the things, and it's fine, and it's totally fine. And that's main. That's one of the main reasons why I have recipes in the book is, I mean, people when, when people call it a recipe book, it does piss me off a little bit, but, uh, but the main reason I have recipes is to show that, look, you can eat potatoes, you can eat dairy, you can eat sugar, and it's not going to like that make you an unhealthy or an impure or a bad person Mm -hmm. you can eat all these things and it's okay to eat these things and they're not terribly terribly bad for you in some way and mainly that's just okay and it's almost like a bit of role modeling so I figure if I as a nutritionist say that these things are okay and also show that I eat these things too I know it's not the best way but it, it might just be that little thing that helps someone try these kinds of foods and maybe feel slightly less anxious around eating certain mm. foods, which can take them on a path to actually being more okay around food in general.
1: Mm. And maybe that's one of the things to point out is that if someone is feeling fearful or anxious about eating differently or eating something that they think might be bad, that that's perhaps one of the first Kind of red flags that they might be drifting into a kind of worrying place of food or an anxious place of food. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think for me, the the first key sign or the most clear sign that someone potentially has or is developing an unhealthy relationship with food is the idea of not being able to make spontaneous food decisions. So if someone said, "Hey, do you want to go for pizza tonight?" and that thought makes you anxious. That is, I think, the first clear sign that there might be something that needs to be worked through. Mm. And because that shows some level of anxiety around a spontaneous food decision and around do and also, you know, it's something that's going to affect your social life then, which is then going to potentially have knock-on effects as well. Mm. And that for me is like a clear first sign. And I recognized that in myself five years ago. And I definitely don't want to get into that place again and it's one of the things I pick I always ask my clients as well mm. I feel like I answered that in a really roundabout way no, no
1: it was beautiful <laughs> it's a beautiful thing so um is your clinic full at the moment or are you still taking new
2: clients on yeah no, I love always taking new clients on so I've actually just the uh, beginning of this year I've started working in a clinic in Clapham my own little space which is really lovely because I've up until then I only mainly did Skype clients and I love doing Skype clients because it means I can see people from all over the world you know I have clients in other countries which is amazing Um, but no I would love to see more people in my in my Clapham clinic in person so there's always space for more more people (laughs) it's cozy come on in (laughs) it's lovely I'm I'm really nice I'm I know I can be angry and sweary on social media but I'm really lovely in person
1: (laughs) so if people want to find you where should they go
2: you can find me on Instagram uh, at... Really? <laughs> <laughs> who just thought? I'm on Instagram at uh, plantbased underscore pixie. Uh, yes, it is deliberately wellness because it draws in the people who are looking for wellness. Uh, on Twitter and Facebook at plantbasedpixie, one word. Or if you Google plantbasedpixie, you will find my website and my all my nutrition services can be found at pixieturnernutrition.com. And
1: the book is out now Now.
2: (laughs) the book is out now in all good bookshops Amazon WH Smith online and in Eason's in Ireland as well so yeah and I think independent bookshops all over the place if you can't find it send me a DM and I will tell you where you can find (laughs) it oh it's also in Tesco some Tescos and some Waitrose stores as well
1: fantastic yes well I think it is much needed um, if not as an antidote, then certainly, you know, start of a a resistance against some of the more unhelpful and harmful. I mean, I think both of us as clinicians in our respective fields can see some of the dangers that this information can do. Definitely. Um, so I think this book and books like it are so needed and I'm so glad that you've written it. I'm so glad that it is out. So thank you for that. And I wish you all the best with it i hope it skyrockets up the charts i hope (laughs) so (laughs) too stays there and yeah thank you very very much for feeding me and cheese toasty and for the great conversation
2: thanks i'm now gonna eat the other half of it
1: (laughs) and that's it many thanks to pixie for sharing her story and her mission with me you can find all of the links to the websites that she mentioned in the show notes and i'll add in the links to her social media accounts as well In upcoming episodes, I'll be looking at the psychology of a particular type of racial bias that, though incredibly common, is astonishingly difficult to talk about. So I do hope you'll join me for that important conversation. But for now, thank you very, very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health.